If you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, uh, we're going to read verses 12 to 16 today. I've entitled the message, The Believer's Goal. The Believer's Goal. This should be every one of our goals as we finish out 2019 and we'll be approaching 2020 in a month. This should be our goal. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Eric McTaxis wrote a book called Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. In that book, he talks about Eric Little, which many of us are familiar with. He was a Scottish runner. He shocked the world when he won the 400-meter race during the 1924 Olympics. What made this event so dramatic was not just that he won an Olympic gold medal, but that he won it after refusing to run his best event, the 100-meter. And that was because those heats took place on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, as he put it. He eventually earned the nickname the Flying Scotsman because of his incredible speed. One cannot help imagining that his decision not to run on Sunday during the 24 Olympic Games might have been in his mind when he penned these following words. Have you learned to hear God's voice saying, this is the way walk ye in it. Have you learned to obey? Do you realize the tremendous issues that may be at stake? These words reflect not just one famous decision, as Eric Metaxas went on to say, but the whole direction of his life. He went on to serve as a missionary in China, on the other side of the world, and because of the danger that was going on during the war, he had to send his wife and children back to Canada. His wife who was expecting a child, and he would never see them again. Eric's friend, A.P. Cullen, who had known Eric most of his life, summed up his friend's life in a camp memorial service on March 3rd, 1945 at his funeral. And here's what he said. He was literally God-controlled in his thoughts, judgments, actions, words to an extent I have never seen surpassed and rarely seen equaled. Every morning he rose early to pray and read the Bible in silence, talking and listening to God, pondering the day ahead and often smiling as if at a private joke. 
See, Eric Little possessed three essentials that were evident in his life and also evident in the life of the Apostle Paul in order to fulfill their God-given purpose. These three essentials are necessary for us as well to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. What are those three things? I'm going to mention them and then we're going to unpack them. The first thing is the believer's goal, which I've titled the message even, the believer's goal. The second essential is the believer's focus. And the third essential is the believer's discipline. We need a goal, we need a focus, and we need a discipline in our lives if we're going to fulfill the purposes of God in our lives. So first, let's look at the believer's goal. The desire to pursue Christ-likeness. That should be the goal of every one of us as we finish out this year, as we approach 2020, that we are striving for Christ-likeness in our lives. Notice what he says in Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this. Paul's saying, I've not arrived yet. Or have already been made perfect. I'm not complete, but I press on. These three things he shows that he is striving to be Christ-like in all that he is doing. The goals that we set will determine the decisions we make. Without goals, our decisions will be made without direction or discipline. We will live haphazard lives and not impact, have the impact for Christ that God desires. Our goal is to be Christ-like. Paul first recognized that he had not arrived at Christ's likeness. Paul had been already a Christian for 30 years plus. 30 years earlier, he had walked the, the Damascus Road, the road to Damascus, and was struck down. And he began the journey, he began the process of following Jesus Christ. And yet he's saying, I still have not yet arrived. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Have you, are you still pressing on? to become the person that God wants you to be. See, Paul had an accurate view of himself. He was in process. He was striving to grow, to learn what it means to be in Christ, to live for Christ, to behave like Christ. You see, it's much easier to pinpoint someone else's areas of growth than it is our own. Here's what he said in Philippians chapter 1. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it completion till the day of Christ. I like the little song that uh, was sung a number of years ago. I think the Gaithers sang it, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. So the question is, what areas is he wanting me to focus on right now? I have some areas in my life that I'm focusing on. One is I'm wanting more courage in witnessing. I would like God to give me more courage to be a, a better witness for him the people that he puts in my path. Maybe that would be one of yours as well. 
Another one I think we should all strive for in the family of God here at Bethesda is that we would have a greater sensitivity to fellowship. I think the times before and after the services are very, very important. And I think sometimes we shortchange those. And I think we're all guilty of maybe talking about the sports and the weather and our jobs and things like that. And that's okay. But what about how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Are you having any struggles with your job? Are you having any struggles in your personal life? And going a little bit deeper in one another with fellowship. And so we're not rushing out the door as soon as the service is over. I rush out the door, but maybe there's someone God wants me to touch in a special way. Am I willing to do that, make an adjustment to do that? Taking the opportunity to pray with a fellow believer. So what goal, how are you pursuing Christ-likeness? The second one is that we have a focus We are to forget the past and we are to focus on the future. Notice what Paul goes on to say, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Here Paul employs athletic terminology. In Macedonia, in that area, the Greek Olympic Games would take place in Macedonia. And so in that place, they would have those Greek games. Many, many people would go to those games and observe those games. And here Paul is using an athletic analogy of people running a race. And sometimes there were chariot races as well. And he's using that analogy of having a focus. Whenever a runner runs, he's saying you've got to focus on the finish line. You can't be looking at just where you're right. You've got to look at where you're going to be. I read a story recently about a coach. He was meeting with one of his runners. And while he was meeting with his runner, he had written down some goals for his runner. And here's what he said. He had put down times that he wanted his runner to, to achieve three and a half years from now. And when the runner looked at those, he said, that's impossible. He said, no, it's something you need to stretch for and reach for. And he was able to reach those goals because they were set out in front of him. And that's what God wants us to do. What are those goals that we have in front of us? Paul says, I press on. But here's the key. Forward movement requires dealing with our past. See, this is the hard part in the Christian life is dealing with our past. Paul, here's what Paul is saying. He says, when he says, forget what is behind, he's not saying that we're going to be able to forget it altogether. He's not saying live in denial. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to forget the past in the sense that we do not allow our past failures, our past hurts, and our past disappointments to keep us from experiencing God's best for our lives. See, Paul experienced this freedom from his past through the liberating power of God to free him from his past. How are we going to get free from things in our past? Through the liberating power of God. Paul had a lot of reasons why he should be living in the past. Looking in the rearview mirror, what was that? He was persecuting churches and Christians, putting them in prison. He should have been loaded down with guilt 
and all that he had done, all the horrible things he had done, the horrible things he said, the horrible things he did, and that could have paralyzed him. But he says, no, I'm forgetting what is behind by the power of God. And a second way he was able to do it, he experienced this freedom, not just through the power of God, but through the life-changing truth of God to free him to live for God in his present. You see, for many, their past is holding them hostage. Some people allow past failures and hurts and disappointments to hold them hostage. Paul is saying, don't allow your past to keep you in bondage. Don't be a prisoner of the past. And Paul says, look at my living testimony of how one can be freed from the past. I formerly persecuted the church and I caused people to suffer. But how did he overcome it? The mercy and grace of God. Here's what he says in Isaiah. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The new has come. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. In spite of Paul's past, God appoints him to service, and he does that for us too. In spite of our past, he appoints us. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Here's the mercy of God reaching out. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, what is there in your past that is keeping you from the believer's goal, pursuing Christ-likeness? What is there in your past? Perhaps it's fear. It can be fearful to change. People don't want to change because of the, the fear that is involved. You have to let go of what is familiar. Moving past your failures. Paul is saying God's grace and mercy are available to you as well. He said, look at my life. All the past blunders, mistakes, failures, sins, hurts, and they're not holding me in bondage. And they don't have to hold you in bondage either. Henry Ford understood the importance of moving past our failures. He said that failure is the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. I like that. Fear is a huge tool of the enemy. You see, it can be very scary to communicate something that has been a secret in your life. But that secret in your life can keep you from the victory that God has for you. If you share something that is morally or ethically wrong, you can fear judgment or condemnation or rejection. And you put greater importance on what other people are thinking than on what God thinks. Fear can come from overvaluing other people's opinions 
and undervaluing God's truth and his power. When the Israelites were delivered out of Egyptian bondage, the people, it says, lifted up their eyes. Pharaoh and his army were coming after them. And you know what it says the Israelites did? They feared greatly. They feared greatly. They cry out to the Lord. They said, is it because there's no graves in Egypt you brought us out into this wilderness to die? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? They said it would have been better for us, listen to this, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Talk about a defeated, fearful attitude. They would have chosen to live back in slavery in the past. How many people who are trying to come out and live for God want to go back to the past, back to the bondage, back to the captivity? Moses says to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And then listen to this carefully. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. God is going to fight the battle for you. I don't know what you're coming out of in your past, but I know that God can deliver you. You see, we all have a filing cabinet in our lives. We have a a mental, emotional filing cabinet that we file away every experience we've ever had. And Satan will call those filing cabinets up and pull the file and try to throw it in front of our face to say, see, you can't do that. But our focus is not on our past. It's on our future. It's on what God has done for us in his mercy and in his grace. What he's done for us. Paul's goal is to focus on the future. Another thing that people do that can be very difficult is not just fear, but another thing that keeps us stuck in our past is disobedience and unbelief. Disobedience is often the result of unbelief. See, God delivered the Israelites from bondage. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, yet that land was occupied by enemies. And God said, all you need to do is go in and take possession of the land that I have given to you. And they didn't want to do it. They wanted to go back to their old ways. And here's what it says in Numbers 14, 4. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now that's hard to imagine. They're saying, let us go back to our bondage. Let us go back to prison. Let us go back as slaves instead of moving forward and taking what God has for us. God wants us to move forward, not live life looking in a rearview mirror. We need to do that. People resist change because they believe they're going to lose something of value. Or fear they will not be able to adapt to the new ways. There's, there, can be, there can be loss. You can lose friends. You'll lose old habits. 
You'll lose things that you relied on to get you through in the past and start trusting God. Paul says we are to focus on the future. Notice what he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Focus on the future. Choose to live life looking through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. Paul's goal was to share the gospel of Christ with the Gentiles. He served by looking at the potential that each life represented. We will invest our lives when we see the potential in someone's life. Paul was liberated from his past, so he's free to serve God in the present. No, we're not leaving yet. I don't know how that came up. Someone's trying to tell me a message, I think. Um, There was supposed to be another slide there. No, maybe it's not. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Paul says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is saying we're in a race, but there's only one who receives the prize, and that's the one who keeps his eyes ahead on the focus on the finish line because we're not at the finish line yet. Story is told of a heavy set woman. She went to an exercise and diet clinic. The first thing the supervisor did was he drew a silhouette on a mirror in the shape she wished to become. As she stood before the mirror, she bulged out over the silhouette. The instructor told her, Our goal is for you to fit in this shape. For many weeks, the woman dieted and exercised. Each week, she would stand in front of the mirror. But her volume, while decreasing, still overflowed. So she exercised harder and dieted more rigidly. Finally, one day, to everyone's delight, as she stood in front of the mirror, she was conformed to the image of the silhouette. It takes time to be conformed to the image of Christ. It takes time. And yet, that's what God wants to do in every one of our lives, is bring us into conformity to his son. And what is necessary for that conformity sometimes is suffering, sorrow, pain, trials that we don't want to go through. And yet God uses every one of them to conform us to his image. Maybe you're going through something right now, some painful trial or sorrow or suffering, and God's using that to conform you to his image. Realize we still have growing to do. We haven't crossed the finish line. We haven't been crowned yet with the garland of victory. We are not to be satisfied with our current progress. We haven't reached the goal yet of being like Christ. So the question is, what work is God currently doing in your life? What areas is he wanting you to focus on right now? One of the things I did when I taught a, 
uh, leadership class a number of years ago in our church in Virginia, I would, at the beginning of class, I would give them a three-by-five card. And I would ask them, I would say, jot down, if you would, areas that you want to grow in. You know, just think about a few areas you want to grow in. Jot those down. They would jot them down. Then I'd say, uh, after you do that, I want you to flip the card over, and I want you to jot down the last five books you've read. And then they, you know, do that. And I said, now you've done that, I want you to see, is there any correlation between the two? Because if you're saying you want to grow in these areas, but you're not reading to grow in those areas, maybe you need to change your reading habits to actually grow in those areas. How important that is. So what growing does God want to do in your life? Do you have a prayer list? Have you developed a prayer list? I have one on my phone. Uh, just a prayer list that I can, I can pray through. To pray faithfully for the pastors, for myself, for Anthony, for our staff, for our elders, for our deacons. Do you have a prayer list for your family, for lost people, for missionaries? And then what about, I would challenge all of us to read a Christian biography. There are many great Christian men and women who have lived, who have gone before us. Have you read a Christian biography recently? Some to consider would be William Carey. I don't know if we have these in the library or not, but these are some that I've read. William Carey, who took the gospel to India. He was so burdened for the gospel to get to India, he, he made a globe out of shoe leather because he worked at a, a shoe cobbler shop. And he made a globe out of shoe leather to pray for the world. He was so burdened for the world. I think of Hudson Taylor who would spend hours and hours studying the Chinese language. And then he would also spend hours studying Greek and Hebrew to learn the Bible. Adoniram Judson who took the gospel to Burma. William Tyndale who translated the Bible into the language of the people and was burned at the stake. Jim Elliot, who took the gospel to the Aka Indians, and he was known for saying, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Maybe you want to learn more about the Bible. I would encourage you to sign up to be discipled. Fill out an orange card, pull an orange card out of the back of the pew. Fill it out, turn it in box one and just put on there, I'd like to be discipled. I would like to learn more about the Bible. Well, the last one we want to look at is the believer's discipline. Grow through maturity. Grow through maturity. Notice what he says. In verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Growth through maturity. Here Paul is saying we need to have a more corporate perspective. So many times when people come into a worship service, 
They come in with the idea, what's in it for me? How did this impact me? How did this touch me? How did this speak to me? How did this, well, how did it speak to the body? How is it impacting the body? How is my behavior impacting the body? How is my attitude impacting the body? Am I bringing a positiveness to the body of Christ? How are my actions affecting the body of Christ? Am I looking at things from God's vantage point? And then let me ask you to fill in the blank for this. I am positively impacting blank for the gospel cause. I am positively impacting blank for the gospel cause. How does my perspective need to change to fulfill God's purpose for my life? So there's a discipline in our perspective that we have a corporate mindset. There's also discipline in our thinking. Paul says, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Here's where we need to give room for God to work in someone's life without being the Holy Spirit for them. We give room for God to work in their life. Disciplined thinking. George Bernard Shaw said, few people think more than two or three times a year. He said, I have made an international reputation for myself by thinking once or twice a week. When is your time for prayer and meditation? The third thing is disciplined, not only perspective and thinking, but a disciplined behavior. A disciplined behavior. Notice what he says in verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already obtained. He's saying what you have gained, what you have acquired in your Christian journey, don't relinquish. In other words, there are too many people who take a detour off running the race for Christ. They take a detour and they stop running. He's saying to remain steadfast, to have an orderly or disciplined walk collectively, that we're walking together collectively. We're walking in unison, we're marching to the same beat. We remain true to what we know is right. It's easy to slip into bad habits. So bad habits are like old couches. They're easy to get into but hard to get out of. When I engage in conversation, does it build the body of Christ? My interactions at work, do they point people to Christ? God is more interested in our growth, in responsibility and maturity than he is our happiness. And yet, when you look at our society, every sector of our society is consumed with the pursuit of happiness, apart from responsibility and maturity. God is far more interested in us becoming mature disciples. 
One of the great concerns I have for our culture today is the biblical illiteracy. That many, many people are embracing things that are not in the Bible, that are not in Scripture, and we're not embracing them the way we should, the Scriptures. Paul was not always happy. Luther was not always happy. Wesley was not always happy. But discipleship for them was not happiness. It was faithfulness and usefulness to God. That's what matters. Why does the world still remember and love Eric Little today when our athletes from his era have been long forgotten? Lord Sands, an Edinburgh civil leader, put his finger on the answer during a dinner honoring Eric just after the 24 Olympic Games. He said it was not because Eric was the fastest runner in the world that the guests were gathered that evening there. Instead, it was because this young man put his whole career as a runner in the balance and deemed it as small dust compared to remaining true to his principles. They who run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. Let's bow our heads. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda mb.org that's Bethesda M as in Mary B as in boy dot org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron have a blessed day